Are you ready for some high adventure? Coming up next on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. They say that familiarity breeds contempt, and I suppose that's true enough, though there are always notable instances where it is less than entirely necessary. Such was the case between a certain square-jawed alleged detective and myself. Somehow, the universe granted me both the wisdom and the foresight to be filled with contempt for him from the first moment we met, and for that, dear friends, I have always been grateful. As a sort of cosmic payback, the universe also saw her way fit to saddle me with the big jerk for low these many years, but I suppose you have to take the rough with the smooth. Familiarity may have arrived too late to the party to actually breed the contempt itself, but it sure did help foster it, tending the rich garden of my well-deserved scorn and all the Noel Coward-esque bon mots that came with it. The point of all this, and I do in fact have one, is that what familiarity actually breeds is familiarity, or rather the built-in expectation of continued familiarity, or the comfortable sort of old shoe feeling that one got from knowing pretty much how one was going to get irritated minute by minute between the hours of whenever Jack got to the office to whenever he decided to pack it in, or... Or I don't know what else. I was having some trouble organizing my thoughts as I was limiting the amount of time that I spent thinking aloud in the general direction of the empty desk across from me. What I would have given for the door to open and a nice juicy case to walk in. But alas, it was only... Trixie, are you in? No, this is just an incredibly lifelike simulation. Good, listen. Theo, for the last time, I am just fine. I am not bored, and I do not need you to take me to lunch. What? No, I didn't... And a mid-morning romp on the sofa is also entirely out of the question. A what? I don't... Uh, Trixie, I didn't say anything about any of that. No, but you were going to. I was? If you ever learned to read between the lines, yes, you almost certainly would have. What is it you want? Well, now I want the lunch and the sofa thing. I'm sure. Perhaps the next visitor will have more sense. Hey, now, I don't think... You aren't getting possessive, are you, Theodore? How does that usually work out for you? Bad. Grammatical nightmares notwithstanding. You burst through that door with a certain degree of urgency, Theo, and despite the similarity between that word and urges, you seem to have something else on your mind. May one ask what that might be? You get more like a demented kitten with a ball of wool every day. Anyone ever tell you that? Yes, but I always enjoy it. Any word? About what? Trixie. Don't Trixie me. Don't scold me like I was a little girl in knee socks and pigtails. Wait. Actually, now that I think about it, it's kind of working for me. Do it again. Have you heard anything from Jack? And Theo throws a bucket of cold water in my newly acquired mood. When will you learn that the J word does not help your cause with Miss Dixon? I was kind of working on something else right now. God's name, why? I can't really recall at the moment. I'm sure. For Pete's sake, Trixie, it's 10.45 in the morning. I wasn't aware that your hours of operation were so limited, Theodore. Is this how it would be if I ever let a certain junior boy investigator fence me in, as they say? Do they? Would I have to call your girl and schedule an appointment? I object to the term junior boy investigator. On the grounds that it is too accurate? What if you just said boy detective? Boy and girl detective? You'd like that. We could hold hands and frolic in the glen. Yeah, okay. I'm not playing. What? You're baiting me. I'm baiting you? 
You're trying to lead me down the path. Would holding hands and frolicking be so bad, I say? And you say, oh, Theo, I'm far too independent for you and really don't like you very much, in spite of my repeated backhanded suggestions to the contrary. Except when you say it, it comes out all... Good? Sure. And all of it is because you don't want to answer my question. Dear me, has custom staled my infinite variety already? You are quite welcome to take your act on the road, good sir. See how it plays in Peoria. Trixie, have you heard from Jack or not? That would be not, and loving it. It's been two weeks. I can read a calendar. Freddy says he hasn't been home. I mean, what are you and Freddy, girlfriends now? Sabian is hopping mad. Says he needs another statement from Jack and Dot on the Morales thing. She's not home either, and the hospital says she took leave. Look, doesn't it strike you as fairly obvious what's going on here? Bad guy wants to kill Jack. Bad guy kidnaps Jack's girl. Girl is rescued, but does what any sensible girl would do and runs as far away from old square jaw as she can get. He follows her, and at some point along the way gets the hint and crawls into a bottle. He'll be back in a few days and be his old miserable self, only much, much more so. Logical, yes? Or, having rescued the girl, our hero spirits her away to where his enemies can never find them and never looks back. Has that ever occurred to you? You'd like that. It sounds like something you'd say. You like spiriting girls away. Do I? You'd spirit me away if I ever let you. Maybe I would. Somewhere that no one would ever find me. Okay, this is working for me again. Trixie, that's not why I'm here. Don't be stupid. Of course it is. Trixie. Stop talking before you ruin it. Ruiner, sit down. I'll make us a drink. Trixie. What? 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 What is so all-fired important that it jumps to the top of the list right at this moment? That is. Swell, you brought a friend. I brought a case. Well, hell. I was going to try and explain before he got here, but that didn't work out so well. For either of us. Should I let him in? Very well, Watson. Show him into the study. Come in, Mr. Yeager. I apologize, Mr. West. I know you said to wait, but... It's all right, Mr. Yeager. Please sit down. Is this the detective? Yes, sir. She's a girl. You're a girl. Yes, she knows. So does he. Tell me, Mr. Yeager, is it you that Braithwaite's doesn't like, or is it your case? What's that? I don't come, know... Come, come, Inspector Lestrade. Young Mr. West is an operative in the employ of Braithwaite's detective agency, and he has brought you to my door, which means you started out at his. Charity beginning at home and all that. Yes? Oh, uh, yes. Yes, of course. There are a few things that Braithwaite's generally does not approve of in an individual, and likewise, there are certain cases that they generally will not touch. But I will generalize to save time. They prefer not to get involved with investigations without a reasonable chance of success, and they do not like people who cannot pay. Which is the case here? Uh, Both? Oh, perfect. Theodore, you and I are going to have a little chat. Just hear him out, would you? Go ahead, Mr. Yeager. Well, as I told Mr. West this morning... I've been away for a number of years. Finding your fortune? Something like that. How'd that work out for you? About as well as you might expect. Right. In fact, I always felt I had become kind of the black sheep of the family. But when I returned last month, I was welcomed back with open arms. It was mostly at Granny Yeager's insistence, of course. Of course. She said that she'd never given up on me, that I was still in her books, and the rest of the family had to go along with it, you see. Granny Yeager held the purse strings? Oh, yes. My relations like to say that the family is quite wealthy, but the truth of the matter is that it's all grannies. Her father was an oil man many years ago. She always looked after everyone. It's part of the reason that I went away, tried to make something of myself. 
In the end, I was no more suited to it than the rest of my family. But at least I tried. What did you try? What? Uh, a lot of different things. And most recently? I was working in a car wash in Fresno. Until? I'd rather not get into that. Very well. So the self-made man returned to the fold and his grandma killed the fatty calf. I'm waiting for Act Two. Well, Granny Yeager said that she'd changed her will now that I was back. She'd changed her will to see that I was looked after. She announced it at a dinner at her home. Everyone was there. Everyone heard her say it. Can I assume that Granny Yeager is no more? She passed away on Saturday. And you are rather conspicuously not in the will? It hasn't been read yet, but the lawyer, Mr. Foley, he says that I'm not. Which means that this will isn't the real will, the last will. And you'd like the most recent will located? Yes. If one exists. I am absolutely certain that it does. Very well. We have a standard rate. We? The royal we. Thirty-nine ninety-five a day plus expenses. I don't exactly... And we'll need three days in advance. I will. Yes. If I had that kind of money, I could have stayed at Braithwaite's. No, you couldn't. But... Mr. Yeager, this is not a fruit stand. I have no interest in haggling over the price. Please, this is my life we're talking about. Said the self-made man. My other relatives, they won't share a nickel with me if it isn't in the will. I could see it in their eyes when Granny said I was going to be looked after. They could see their own shares getting smaller. Most of them have borrowed against their inheritance for years. They won't part with a cent. Just how big an estate are we talking about? Nobody knows for sure. Trixie, the grandmother lived out by Bowdoin Park. Bowdoin Park, you say? In a modest house of 33 rooms. Theo, there is a gleam in your eye that I don't think I put there. What are you up to? Perhaps a speculative arrangement? A finder's fee? This is what your partner said might be possible. My partner? Trixie? Don't Trixie me. You had your chance on prom night. It could be a lot of money. Please, I don't have much time. Fine. Ten percent. Ten? Take it or leave it. And believe me, I hope that you leave it. No, that's fine. Ten percent is fine. Mr. Yeager, we're on the case. We are, are we? Swell. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. I had worked the old missing will routine eight or nine times, and there were several problems to be had. Number one was getting the chance to search. Since anyone who might have been a late inclusion to the will often did not have the most unfettered access to the deceased affairs, you generally had to muscle your way in, and I was operating with a distinct lack of muscle. And since more money for my client, car wash impresario James Yeager, meant less money for everyone else... It was fair to say that by the time Theo and I rolled up to the sprawling mansion near Bowdoin Park, the Jaeger clan had probably done a fair bit of searching of their own. This was the unglamorous end of the stick as far as detective work went. There was nothing clever to be done, no puzzle to solve. We simply had to look for a small piece of paper in a giant house until we found it, or gave up and admitted that Theo's finder's fee had been a stupid idea for which he must obviously be punished. Theo himself was another problem, of course. He had, over time, worn down my resistance on several notable fronts. But why he was playing hooky from the gentleman detective to fortune hunt with yours truly was well beyond me. Particularly when I had made it fairly clear that certain more athletic options had been made available to him. A sensible man would have locked the door and forgot all about Jim Yeager and his granny. So what was wrong with Theodore? 
All of this was a fairly moot point if we couldn't get in the door to start our search. And at that moment, the decision lay with Mr. Foley, the old lady's lawyer and executor who had the run of the place. I tell you, Miss Dixon, the whole thing is quite unthinkable. It really isn't, Mr. Foley. I'm thinking about it right now, and everything seems to be working just fine. That isn't what I mean. The Jaeger family has a place in society. We can't simply have detectives swarming all over the place. Two isn't much of a swarm, Mr. Foley. Especially since he barely even counts. It's like a swarm of one and a half. All the more unlikely that you would find anything in the time allotted. I wasn't aware that anything had been allotted just yet. And we both know that the place is about to be pulled nine ways from Sunday by the rest of the family. Why not add two more on Jim Yeager's behalf? It's just impossible. I was Mrs. Yeager's estate lawyer. There can't be another will. I would know about it. Did she have other lawyers? Possibly. Her business concerns were substantial and varied. So she might have had someone else draw up the papers. It seems unlikely. And if she wrote it up herself and had two butlers witness it, a new will would likely stand up to a challenge. There can't be a challenge. Why not? There are other family members to think of. Family members who have considerable financial stake in the estate, to say nothing of debts incurred with their eventual inheritance as collateral. James Yeager can't simply expect the rest of the family to step aside for him. You seem awful particular about it, Mr. Foley. Mrs. Yeager announced to the family that she made a new will and James was in it. Yes, Karen told me she was there. Karen? Karen Yeager, Mrs. Yeager's grandniece. Of course. You're quite friendly with Karen Yeager, aren't you? Of course not. Where did you hear that? People are talking. Lots of people. What? That's ridiculous. I'm a married man. Karen is half my age. And you wouldn't want to help give people the wrong impression about your friendship with her? Certainly not. And railroading James Yeager and the new will to make sure Karen and her creditors don't have to wait for their money would certainly do that. If people knew about it, that is. I see your point. Due process must have its day. I agree completely. I'll give you 24 hours. We'll take however long we want. The will is to be read in three days. Well, that's more than 24 hours for a start. I assume you'll be around if we have any questions. Well, I... Thank you, Mr. Foley. Oh. Yes. Yes, all right. Come along, Theo. That wasn't bad. He seemed like a man with a dirty secret. They all are. I guess so. I just thought... So that's it, is it? Case closed? Problem solved? Well, no, I just... Then can the postmortem and the congratulations. Right. Where do we start? I'm hoping for a bookshelf. Uh, Trixie? Or a library with a couple of thousand books. Yeah, that's good, too. How much longer? Shut up. Trixie, it's been hours. What exactly did you think was going to happen, Princess? When you decided to blow off work and take on the noble quest for Granny Yeager's will, what did you think it was going to be like? Maybe I should go search another room. Oh, shut your face. If anyone's going to traipse delicately around the mansion, peeking under this and that, it's me. And I'm not, either. Not until we finish the library. We're just opening and closing books. It only seems like we're just opening and closing books because we haven't found anything. Why would Granny Yeager have put her new will in a book? 
Wait, is this because of what Jaeger said? Said when? When he said his granny told him he was still in her books. Trixie, do you think... Ow! What was that for? I thought if I hit you with Plato's Republic, you might become less stupid. Did you? No. I mean, yes. I mean, wait! Now, the question is, did I hit you too hard or not hard enough? Just wait a second. Because I can't do anything about the former, but I can hit you a little bit harder if that helps. Why are you hitting me? You're still in my books is just an expression, Theodore. And if it wasn't, Granny Yeager said it long before she changed her will. So why the obsession with the library? Because this is something that people do, Theo. They have a piece of paper, and it's a big important thing, but it lacks the physical form to match. They don't know what to do with it, so they tuck it in a particular book. A book that they'll remember. That means something to them. Like Plato's Republic? No, not like... Well, yes, like Plato's Republic, I guess. But I'm not sure that I'm done hitting you with this just yet. Really? Because there's a paper poking out of it. What? Ah, my point. Perfectly illustrated. Is it the will? No. It is Granny Yeager's marriage certificate to the late Grandpappy Yeager, tucked in Plato's Republic. What a mad, passionate affair it must have been. Think she hit him in the head with it? Don't try and get romantic. That's romantic? What? Isn't it? Did you ever stop to consider that you just might be wired up wrong? You've done some pretty thorough searching, and I've never heard any complaints. I meant under your hat, sister. I know what you meant. Keep looking. Look, all of the relations know there might be a will. Yes. And the executor is either cozy with one of the relations or would secretly like to be. Seems like. So don't you think they've already looked for it? Theo, that's brilliant. It is? No. Ow! That is exactly why we started with the books, Theo, because they must have searched the desk and the wall safe and anything else they know about that they could think to search. Because if they could find the new will and destroy it before anyone else knew about it, then James Yeager gets nothing. And if they found it, Foley wouldn't have given us a hard time about searching. Right. He'd have said, yes, of course, come right in. And we'd have said, gee, guess our client is out of luck. Good thing we're getting $39.95 a day plus expensive. Oh, no, wait, we aren't. Theo, keep looking. If we can find this will, it might be worth a lot more to us than that. What's this us, paleface? Well, I'm helping, aren't I? Jim Yeager signed a standard contract form I pulled off my desk, which means his 10% agreement is with Justice and Dixon, not Dixon and West. I don't think that's... You gave yourself top billing? What's that? We haven't even really talked about it, and you've given yourself top billing. Okay. First of all, of course I get top billing, Theo. Obviously, I get top billing. I'm not sure why you would even ask that question. Secondly, what in the hell are you talking about? The desk. What desk? You know what desk. The empty desk. The empty... You mean Jack's desk? No, I mean the empty desk. Is this what this is? An audition? What about Braithwaite's? What about Braithwaite's? Theo. How much have you actually had to do since he's been gone, Trixie? How many clients look at you and say things like, you're a girl? You're saying that I need a burly male protector to do this job? I'm saying that what you need is a male partner to get hired in the first place. And that isn't my fault, so don't get your little nose out of joint at me. Theo, that was very stern. Was it? Sorry. I like it when you're stern. You had me scanning the room for a sofa, and then you said sorry. Sorry. And back we go to the books. 
You can't give me one good reason why I shouldn't sit at that desk. You can sit where you want. Just be prepared to move in a hurry when Jack gets back. He isn't coming back, Trixie. Okay, so what do you think happens now? We've been working beside each other for three hours and 15 minutes. How much of that time have we been fighting? Most of it. Theo? All of it. My relationship with Jack has a strong base in mutual dislike, with a side of contempt and some low-grade antipathy. That's why it works. Whatever happens, I couldn't possibly hate him more than I already do. But you respect him. Don't be stupid. And what about me? Oh, Theo. As much as I'd love to answer that question, looky what I just found. Is that? Oh, blah, blah. This amendment to my last will and testament, dated last month, signed. Two witnesses. Theo, this is it. What book was it in? This is what you ask me? It was in a bound edition of National Geographics. Well thumbed. Hmm. Looks like Granny liked the Polynesian boys. And now that you mention it... Trixie? Yes? Read the will. Right. Right, right. Well? Theo, you still have at least one functioning grandmother, don't you? Sure. Does she ever do things that suggest she has no idea what things actually cost? Like give you a penny and tell you to go get a newspaper and a ham? I guess. Looks like it gets worse if you're stinking rich. Trixie, what does it say? She wants a fund created to take care of her wayward grandson, now returned. She wants him to be looked after for the rest of his life, so she's making sure he gets $50 a month. Fifty? Wait. That's not very much at all. No kidding, Theo. You know what is even less than that? My 10%. Sorry. I'm going to have to chase that little jerk for eight months just to come out of this with a day's pay. Oh, can it, Trixie? What was that? I mean it. Button it or I'll give you a fat lip. Oh, Theo. Too much? Stop talking. 33 rooms. has got to be a sofa somewhere. And here, gentle friends, the network sensor steps in and cuts our scene to voiceover. I shall spare you the deliberate misinformation that has been pressed into my hand on the grounds that you are not an idiot and that your imagination has already been working overtime since I first used the word romp back in scene one. Suffice to say that sometime later we return to the office. And if I did momentarily mentally rearrange the letters painted on the smoked glass, you can't really blame a girl. Top billing is top billing, after all. Oh, hello, kids. Not quite what I expected to see. When did you get back? When you and young Mr. West were at the ice cream social, obviously. We were working. Of course you were. Theo, you look like you've seen a ghost. What's that? Oh, no. Sorry. Welcome back. Thank you. There's a pile of stuff in my chair. It's not a pile, it's a jacket. It's in my chair. Theo, could you assist Her Majesty? My hands are full. Sure. I can do it. Have you been messing with the coffee pot? I used it, if that's what you mean. For what? For rinsing out my nylons. What do you think I used it for? Can I just... Since no one else is going to ask... Where was I? Yes. I wondered if anyone would ask. Oh, have you been away? Nice. Poconos. The what now? The Poconos. What were you doing in the Poconos? Honeymoon. Honeymoon? Yes. Her response to being kidnapped was to marry you? Her response to being rescued in cinematic fashion was to marry me. Baffling. I am officially baffled. That'll happen. Well, congratulations, Jack. Thank you, Theodore. Was there something that you needed? Who, me? No. No, I was... I was just passing by. Blackjack Justice, episode 54, The Empty Desk, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices supplied by Kevin Robinson, Brian Vaughn, 
and Ryan Saro. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Oh, hello. Have you tried Friends, Oshaline, Motorfuel, Oshaline, manufactured by the Four Patrol Corporation, is the only high-octane motor fuel made from distilled seaweed. When I am driving to the movie set and I notice that I need motor fuel, I stop at my neighborhood Oshaline station and get my tank filled with that good stuff. Oh, hello. Mr. Oshaline man, I did not see you there. Are you here to enlighten us further? Yes, that's right. Oshaline, that high-octane motor fuel made from distilled seaweed, is the only motor fuel of its kind made with kelpinate. It's guaranteed to give you more miles per dollar, so try Oshaline with kelpinate today. That is what I'm here for, Mr. Oshaline man. Give my car what it is craving. Fill her up with Oshaline with Kelpanate. Yeah. <laughs>